You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 23. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice." And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel." This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to us, of these words, this story, that tells us something of who you are and who we are before you. Father, we ask that you would speak to us now that your spirit would apply these words to each of our lives in ways that would prove helpful, fruitful, to continue your kingdom building here on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, in my first year of marriage, at a certain point, probably fairly early on, really, my wife became convinced that I wasn't prioritizing our marriage, our relationship. And I was convinced that I was. Okay. Um, how, do you, how do you sort this kind of thing out? I was busy. I was, it was a busy time. Seminary student. We were getting ready for our first kid. I had to pay rent. I was working a job. Uh, things were busy. And I, and I tried to explain to her over and over again, you know, this is just what it is to be married to a seminary student who's working and we're getting ready for a kid. We got a lot going on. Um, and, and we returned to that conversation quite a number of times until finally I said, okay, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat my school life as a nine-to-five job, which means I'm going to be home for dinner by five o'clock every day. Okay. So that's what I did. And um, wow, what a change that was. I, I, I actually had some boundaries around my work. It, it meant I had to... Um, work harder during the day, you know, uh, organize my time in a certain way so I'd actually be home by a certain time. It me meant that I couldn't pour endless hour upon hour into my assignments. And for those who have been to school, and that's all of us, I guess, uh, you know that you can always put more and more into to an assignment and do more reading, more research, more time to, to craft. Uh, it, it meant putting limits on some of my assignments. It meant, it meant actually at times um, having to ask for an extension on an assignment for a course. Um, but sure enough, you know, we actually had time together, uh, set, set apart time together in a week. And in hindsight, I was like, oh, this is what it means to, to prioritize a marriage. And finally, my, my eyes were opened to seeing what my wife had seen very clearly all along that I really hadn't been prioritizing my marriage in the way that I ought to. I had allowed everything else to kind of get in the way and everything else to be prioritized and to kind of give the scraps whatever was left over to my wife. Well, our passage this morning, it deals with some of these themes of sight and blindness. Okay, what it is to have something right before your eyes, but you just can't see it. Okay? It invites us to consider whether or not we see whether or not we see as we ought to, whether or not we see as we should, and, and whether or not we see as God sees, or whether we stand confused, blind, in a daze to the things that stand right in front of us. And what I think we'll find here, what I hope we'll find, what, what I believe these scriptures invite us to see, is that we too are blind. Each of us is blind in one way or another that we can't see reality as we should, and that this is, in fact, part of the human condition, part of what it is to live in this life under the sun. Now, this is true in relation to God, okay, the spiritual realities around us that we don't see as we ought to see. We don't see the realities that are around us. Uh, and it's also true of what we might say the natural world, okay, our perceptions of, of the world around us, our natural relationships uh, to the world and to those around us. We're blind. We're blind. And in both cases, the solution that's offered is the same. That we need our eyes to be opened. And that this is a divine act. It's, a, it's an act of divine intervention. That, that God would open our eyes and allow us to see as he sees. To see with clarity. To see what's in fact there. And what this story tells us with all clarity is that it's God alone who opens the eyes. 
It's God alone who can restore sight and give us eyes to see reality as reality actually is. Okay. Our passage begins with the king of Syria, foiled. His plans are frustrated. He is sending his troops on raids into the land of Israel. But no matter how strategic he is, how secret, how cunning his plans are, they are foiled. Israel escapes again, and he doesn't know how to figure this out. What's going on? And the Syrian king's conclusion is this. There must be a traitor in amongst the, in my ranks. There has to be an inside man who's, who's giving our secrets away to the Israelites. Right? Who of us is for the king of Israel, he asks. And the response of his servants is, no one, none, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Okay, there's a prophet in Israel who, tell, who knows everything. He sees everything that's going on here. And he's able to tell the king of Israel everything that you're doing, everything that you're saying, even in your own bedroom. Elisha, the prophet of God, knows and sees. And here, God is proven to be a God who sees and a God who knows. And is therefore able to protect his people, able to frustrate the plans of the enemy. A God who knows what's going to be done even before it's done. This is who God is revealed to be in our passage. And so, of course, the king of Syria, his response is to seize Elisha, this prophet who's ruining all of his plans. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Well, it, it, it's somewhat comical, uh, the, the king of Syria's response, right? He, he thinks... He thinks he can outmaneuver out the prophet, outmaneuver the same God who has already seen everything that he's doing. He thinks that he can get away from him. And as though, even though the prophet has known everything that he's going to do up to this point, that he could now sneak up on Elisha without Elisha's knowing. But of course, of course he can't. He cannot outmaneuver the prophet. He cannot outmaneuver this God. And neither can you. And neither can I. The God of the Bible is here again revealed as the God who sees. He's the God who sees. This is how he reveals himself if you remember the story of Hagar, who says, he's the God who sees me. And he sees me. And she said that in a moment of, uh, of pain and anguish. Uh, he's the God who sees. And he sees you. And he sees me. He knows you. He knows all your ways. Even how you try to escape him and evade his presence. He sees you. He sees even your apathy towards him. He sees and he knows. And he won't be mocked, as we'll find in this story. But as we'll see towards the end, even by those who try to evade the presence of God, he extends grace upon grace. So the Syrian king thinks he can outmaneuver God and God's prophet. And he sends this great army to surround Elisha's city. We'll pick it up in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Well, if we didn't know the next part of the story, this is a frightening image. Right? To be surrounded in the city. These people have come for you. Here's Elisha and his servant, caught and surrounded. 
And Elijah's servant is understandably overwhelmed with the fear and the horror of this predicament. There's no escape for him, as far as he can see. No hope. And this will not go well. This is not going to end well for Elisha and his servant. And maybe, maybe in some way you've been there, surrounded, maybe not by an army of horses and chariots, but in a situation where, as far as you can tell, it will not go well for you. Right? Defeat is at your door. This is not going to go well. This is bad. It could be that you made a decision at work, and it backfired, and people are now coming after you. They're against you. Or it could be a matter of conflict, personal conflict, in your family, or extended family, or friendship group. It could be something that's facing you that you, you think, this is not going to go well. You feel that you cannot escape from this, this, this problem in front of you. Okay, maybe your reputation is being attacked in some way. Or your health, your well-being in some way being attacked. Whatever it is for you, if you've ever felt, or even now today feel, that you're facing something of an impossible situation in front of you. Well, Elisha's servant has been there. He knows what that's like. He knew what it was to stand before an impossible situation and for there to be no way out, and no easy solution, where defeat was guaranteed as far as everything he could see. But of course, it was in that place, that place of, of defeat before him, where he felt at a loss, where this servant comes to see something that he never could have seen apart from divine revelation. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What's interesting about this scenario is that in some ways, absolutely nothing has changed in terms of this army still being right in front of their eyes. Right? The problem is still right in front of them. The enemy army is still there, but now a bigger picture comes into view. And what this servant now sees is that this impossible reality, this thing that seems so impossible that's standing right in front of him, is actually part of a larger reality of what God sees. Of what God sees. Right? It's not the whole picture, this, this impossible situation that's facing him, that's right in front of him. And I believe there's, there's a word here for us this morning, maybe for you in a, in a personal way this morning. Uh, for us who need to hear that this daunting reality that stands right in front of your own eyes, this reality that seems inescapable, is not the whole story. It's not the whole picture. It's not everything that's in front of you. Right? This is one part of a larger reality, and it's not all that God sees. Right? God sees that problem that you're standing face to face with, and that's not the whole picture. It's not the whole reality. It's not all that God sees, the attack that you're facing in your workplace or that family conflict, or that conversation that's in front of you that you feel is impossible to have. It's not the whole reality. It's not the whole picture. These things that feel so overwhelming, like there's no way out, there's no way forward, and this is not going to end well. It's not the whole story. There is a bigger picture, a larger reality that is known to God, 
in which these realities and our challenges fit. And the bigger story has everything to do with what God himself sees. The reality is God knows it to be often unseen, unbeknownst to us. There's something that God is doing in the midst of this challenge. There's something that God is after in the midst of this challenge, that God is committed to you. He's committed to you as his child, that whatever challenge you're facing, however overwhelming it feels, that you can know the promises of God, that God is committed to you in the midst of your challenge, in the midst of a feeling of despair, that God is committed to you. He sees a bigger picture, and he's committed to using this, even this, for your good. Here, Elisha and his servant, of course, get the privilege of seeing this, of seeing with their eyes what we often fail to see, the big picture as God sees it. Their eyes opened. And I believe it's through their eye-opening event in this story that we too are invited to see the bigger picture. We're invited to see our own challenges in light of the challenges faced by Elisha and his servant. That God sees what is unseen to us. That he's in control. That he's never outdone or surprised. But sees and knows and cares for his people. What happens next in the story is again surprising. Because what you'd expect to happen, you know, there's all these horses and chariots surrounding them. And then... Their eyes are open to see horses and chariots of fire surrounding a greater army. And you'd expect that this greater army would come and destroy this smaller army. uh, The horses and chariots of fire would come and, 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 and destroy everything. And that's not what happens. You'd expect that the presenting problem, God would just deal with that. Maybe that's true of our own lives, that God would just eradicate whatever that presenting problem is in front of us. But that's not what the Lord does here. Verse 18. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. It's kind of strange. Why not just destroy all these people? Destroy the presenting problem. Instead, strike them with blindness. The Lord's army meets this enemy army, but rather than engaging in, in battle, in, in some kind of uh, use of force to destroy them, he strikes them with blindness. Maybe something like 10,000 angels could have come down at his word and destroyed them. And God instead chooses this other way. Not an exertion of power, but in some ways a molding of the situation to his purposes, causing blindness. And then even their blindness, isn't, it's not what you'd expect. You, you know, you'd expect them to be tur- turned in on themselves and not know where to go. But, but it's not the kind of blindness, uh, as one translator puts it, it could be translated, put in a dazed condition. Okay? That, that seems to follow more in terms of what happens in the story. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha in verse 19. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way. Okay, he's saying this to the Syrian army, right? This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me. And I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. (laughs) Samaria is the capital city of Israel. So he's leading them into enemy territory where they could all uh, readily be destroyed. This isn't the way. Come follow me. And now they're following the person that they're after to try to kill instead of following him blindly. Okay, here's the blindness into enemy territory. Um, Talk about seeing but never perceiving. 
for this Syrian army, following what they thought was the way, all while walking to their own destruction. And this is a frightening possibility. It's a frightening possibility, and, and I, I guess I alluded to it earlier in my own story with my wife, um, that we can think that we're seeing, all while never seeing, that we can be so confident moving forward in this life, walking in the way that we think is the right way, all while it's a way that leads to destruction, blind, completely missing it. It is, it's a frightening possibility. And of course, Jesus gets at this a whole bunch in the Gospels, if you're familiar with it. Right? The, the, the possibility that many of his followers, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are actually blind to the reality that's standing right in front of them. And we see this throughout the New Testament, where, where Jesus' own disciples completely miss it. Where the, where the religious leaders, they think they're seeing, and they're so confident that they're seeing right, and yet they're missing it. Often in the Gospels, it's the blind who see, and it's those who are seeing who turn out to be blind. And with all this, we're invited to consider again that blindness in this world can take many forms. We can be blind to spiritual realities, like Elijah's servant, or blind to natural realities, like the Syrian army. And perhaps we shouldn't make too sharp a divide between these two blindnesses, because both are in the end blindness to the same singular reality, what God sees, what God knows. And in all cases, the solution is the same, that we need to see. We need our eyes to be open. See, the reality is that all of us here have blindnesses, that none of us sees wholly as God sees. For now we see in part, says the Apostle Paul, now we know in part. And this is our natural condition, that we can't see as we need to see. Now for some here, I'd imagine that this, this blindness is most fundamentally something like a spiritual blindness. Maybe it means that you're unclear as to whether or not there even is a God, whether or not God exists, whether or not, whether or not you can know God, whether or not he's actually made himself known in a way that you can engage with this God. Maybe that's a source of great doubt and you find yourself regularly feeling like you have blinders on. You can't see the reality of this world around us and we can't even know whether or not God is or there is a spiritual, spiritual reality. And, and to you I'd say that the scripture's answer, of course, as, as you might know, um, with a resounding, of, of course, all of being is rooted in the life of God. Right? And oh, that we would have eyes to see and to ears to hear that God is, that God is, that he's the most fundamental reality that our world has, uh, on which our world is based. But maybe that seems unclear to you. And oh, that you would be given sight this morning that God is, and that we owe our allegiance and everything that we have to him. And maybe for some, there may be another kind of spiritual blindness uh, leading to a kind of apathy where, where we just find ourselves not caring a whole lot. That God has claimed us as his own and sent us out into the world for mission in the world. Right? Maybe we just find ourselves apathetic. Okay? That, that we don't really care. And we too need our eyes to be opened. And maybe for some, uh, you are attuned to these things. But there are other areas of blindness, what we might call more natural blindness. Blind to the needs of those around you. 
Blind to the needs of those perhaps who are closest to you. Blind to your own pride, defensiveness, neediness or insecurities and the way that these things affect the relationships around you. Blind to where you're going. And this too is a severe blindness leading to destruction. Now, now, truth be told, I have to confess that I share in all of these blindnesses, in part. You know, prone to doubt, prone to apathy, prone to not seeing as God sees, not seeing the needs of those around me, perhaps especially those closest to me. Blind. And the need of restored sight in all of these ways. And the good news for all of us who struggle with blindness, who, who find ourselves unable to see with clarity what God sees, the good news is that our God is a God who opens the eyes of the blind, who restores sight, and it's his good purposes to do so. In verse 20, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now remember, Samaria is, is uh, the, the capital city of Israel. It's the enemy army. This is Israel's chance right, to destroy this Syrian army that's been raiding and invading them. And the king knows it. He says in verse 21, as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? This is their chance. Syria's blindness leads to their demise, their impending destruction. And so it is with us and our blindnesses. That blindness is not a state of indifference, but it's, it's a state of destruction. So beware, we're warned. And remember, Jesus' warnings, Jesus' warnings of blindness, against blindness, actually begin with the church. Not, not, not with the nations. It begins with the church. Most of his warnings about blindness are actually to those who are of the household of God. And so we too find ourselves as those who need our eyes opened. So we've got Syria, blinded and led to their demise, into the enemy camp, themselves surrounded. But what happens next is again surprising. The king says to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And Elisha answered, you shall not strike them down. But instead he says, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So the king prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. There are a number of surprising things about this response. That in spite of all God's power, his, his superior army with chariots of fire surrounding the Syrian invaders, still the Lord doesn't destroy. He doesn't kill. He doesn't use force, but instead blinds them and gives Syria into the hands of their enemies. And then, when they're there, he doesn't command Israel to defeat them, to wipe them out. But instead, what does he do? Serves them a meal. Cares for their needs. What kind of God is this? Who serves his enemies and does good to those who persecute him and his people. Who gives mercy to the wicked and sight to those who are blind. What kind of God is this? But then isn't this just the kind of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ? While he comes to those who are his own, and we don't recognize him, still, 
he pursues. Still he loves. Still those who are wandering to our own destruction and blind to his ways won't recognize him. He comes to us and he's patient with us and he reveals himself to us and he opens the eyes of the blind. He heals our blindness. And for all of our confusion and blindness over who God is, Jesus comes to give us sight. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he says. For all of our world's great confusion about who God is, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What a gift of sight. In our blindness to our own sin and rebellion, Jesus comes to give us sight again, to see the gravity of our own sin, the need for reconciliation with God, the need for atonement. The need for forgiveness. He goes to the cross. He dies a sinner's death for us. Giving his life as a ransom. He reveals what we need and he gives us sight to see. And as with this Syrian army, blind and walking to their own destruction, Jesus comes to us. Us who are blind and on our way to destruction. To the destruction of our own. And would he destroy us? Would he destroy us sinners who stand opposed to him, his enemies? Would he take this opportune time to give us as our sins deserve? No. No. But what does he do? He sets a table before us. He offers his life for us. He gives us his body as true bread and his blood as true drink. Grace upon grace. Look, all of us find ourselves blind to something, blind in some way, unable to see the whole picture. But here in the story of Elisha and the chariots of fire, we're invited to consider what God sees. And he sees the whole picture. He sees all of it. And he sees you. And he sees me. And he's committed to us and to our good. And more than that, in our point of greatest need, he opens the eyes of the blind and so invites the blind to become seeing friends, to know him, to see him. And the final thing I'll say, that God ultimately gives this gift of seeing, not through the great prophet Elisha, but through the greater prophet Jesus, who stood up one day in a synagogue and read these words from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. May it be so. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you with great need and we confess our blindness. We confess that we need you to restore our sight. That in this life we can't see what we can't see. And we need you to do a, a supernatural and divine work in us. To, to uncover uh, the blindness of our eyes. That we might see as you see. That we might see areas of sin to which we're blind. Areas of apathy to which we're blind. That we might see reality as it is. As you say it is more clearly by your grace and by your divine intervention. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. We ask that you would do this in the power of your spirit and through your son. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.